What if these were the last days? The past couple of weeks, we've been talking about that. We've been talking about the signs that we see, and we look around the culture today. We look around the world today, and we see all these signs. What if these were the last days? In 1987, the band R.E.M. wrote a song called, It's the End of the World as We Know It. What if it truly is the end of the world as we know it? What would Satan hope for the church? Think about that for just a second today. If if these were the last days, if the world as we know it is about to end, what would Satan desire, what would Satan hope for the church? As Jesus prepares to come again and on that day as he stands as the righteous judge, And those found outside of a relationship with Jesus, the Bible says that they will perish. What would Satan hope in those days for the church? I believe he would hope that the church would be distracted. I believe he hopes that the church would be distracted, that it would take up every and any cause except for the one cause that truly matters. I believe he would hope that the church would be not only distracted, but that it would also be distorted, that it would become something that it was never meant to be, and maybe it would act as a club, or maybe it would act as a society, or something altogether else. I believe he would hope that it would be distracted, that it would be distorted, but I also believe that he would hope that it would be disinterested. And that apathy and lethargy would rule the day and that even though we have an urgent mission that no one in the church would be found to be urgent in this day. I believe Satan would hope that the church would be disunified and that arguments and disunity would eat up all of the energy of the church. I believe Satan would desire that the church would be disinformed and that in this day people would be biblically ignorant and false teachers and false preachers would, would rise up in the church because of this ignorance and they would lead the church astray. I believe Satan would hope that with a disinformed and disunified and disinterested and distorted and distracted church that the mission of Jesus Christ would be lost in that day. Friends, look around today. We are living in those times. Look around today. Sadly, Satan must be pleased with the state of the church today. Our study here in Luke chapter 12, Jesus has been addressing the readiness of his people. He's been addressing the readiness of the church. He's made it clear he's coming again very soon. He's been addressing the fact that the church needs to be prepared and ready in those days. Well, that focus is going to continue today. Our message this morning is entitled, Peace, But Not Peace. Peace, But Not Peace. We're in Luke chapter 12. Today, we're going to begin in verse 49 and continue to verse 53. Luke chapter 12, today verses 49 through 53. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 12, beginning here in verse 49. Jesus is speaking and he says this, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, 
and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you, no, but rather division. From now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we come and as we look at our nation, as we look at our world, as we look at the culture that we exist in, we know that you're soon coming again. We come now and as, and as you prepare the church for those days to be active upon your mission in these times, I pray that we would be open to hear that you would instruct us. I pray that the truth of your word would, would convict us and guide us as followers of Christ. We pray as the day grows urgent that some in this room that do not know Jesus Christ, some in this room that would perish if you came again in this hour, that today in the hearing of your word and the drawing of your spirit that they might put their faith in Jesus Christ. We pray above all things that in this hour and in all hours that you are glorified through your church. We love you, and we praise you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today in our message, we're going to look at our verses today in three segments. Then we will, seeking to be a prepared and a persevering and a passionate church, we'll take those three segments and we'll apply those truths today. So here we go. Let's begin. First, we start off and we see the first segment, Christ's desire. Christ's desire. Let's begin by looking at verse 49. Jesus continues to speak here in verse 49, and he says this, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Listen to that again. Jesus says, I've come to cast fire upon the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. Verse 49 is a complex verse. In it, Jesus says that he has come to cast fire upon the earth. Now understand he is talking about the purifying fire of the judgment at the end times. And he says, I have come to cast fire Upon the earth. Now, we talked about last week, sometimes Jesus says things that we're not comfortable with. Sometimes he says things that we're not familiar with or that he, we would rather maybe he didn't say, but he says that he has come to cast fire upon the earth. Listen to what Peter writes. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Jesus says, I have come to cast fire upon the earth. And then he says, and how I wish that it were already kindled. 
he says, how I wish that it were already started. How I wish that it were already burning. Jesus says, I've come and at my doing, fire will cleanse the earth. But then he says, and I wish that it were already burning. Can you imagine hearing that? Can you imagine standing there and hearing that? Jesus says, I have come to cleanse the world with fire and I wish that right now it were already burning. What is Jesus saying here? Listen, through this fire, through this judgment, through this purifying work that he is talking about now, see this, Jesus will usher in a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible tells us of this new heaven and this new earth, there will no longer be sin. There will no longer be death or sickness. And he says of this new earth that I wish that it were here. So understand through this act of purification, through the fire on the earth, he is gonna usher in a new day. Now see what's happening here. Jesus in his human flesh 30-something years old, says that he has already heard enough gossip. He's already heard enough slander. He's heard enough lying. He'd seen enough sickness, and he'd seen enough death, and he'd seen enough brokenness. And he says, I am ready for a new day and a new heaven and a new earth. And these things will have been passed away. Go and read Revelation chapter 21. And that's the message of Revelation chapter 21. That's the truth of Revelation chapter 21. And so understand here in this verse, Jesus' desire is for a new day. He can't stand any longer the effects of sin. He's had all of the, the death and the decay and the destruction that he can bear. And he is desiring for a new day. And he longs for this day. Oh, that I wish that it were already here. And so we see Christ's desire. Second thing we see is Christ's distress. Christ's distress. Look at verse 50. But, he says, how I wish that it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo. And how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Listen to that again. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Now, verse 50, if you look at verse 50, is really a, an unreal verse. Jesus says, I'm ready for a new day. I'm ready for a new heaven and a new earth. But, but before that, I have a baptism to undergo. That literally translates a baptism to be baptized with. He says, I'm ready for that day, but I have a baptism to be baptized with. And then he says, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Another translation, he says, and how it consumes me until it is finished. Understand, Jesus is ready for the new day, but first he says he must be baptized with this baptism, and it consumes him until it is done. It stirs him up until it is accomplished. Now, let me slow down here for just a second. Be sure 
and see today, be sure and understand today, this baptism is not talking about a baptism in a river, the Jordan River or any other river. It's not talking about a baptism in a creek or, or up here in our nice tank. No, understand, he is talking about the cross. He is metaphorically talking about the cross. And he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. I have a baptism to undergo. And it is a baptism of untold suffering. It is a baptism of indescribable pain. It is a baptism of unbelievable agony. It is a baptism not in water, but in blood, and it's going to be his own blood. It is a baptism of death. Death through the cross, immersion in the grave through death, and then resurrection. That is the baptism that he is referring to. And then even knowing that, even understanding that, he says that he is desiring this baptism, that he is consumed with accomplishing this baptism. He is zealous to go to the cross. Now why? That's what he's saying here. He is zealous to go to the cross. Why is he zealous to go to the cross? Listen to me today. He's zealous to go to the cross to offer life to those who have succumbed to death. He's zealous to go to the cross to offer hope to those who have given away their hope. He's zealous to go to the cross to offer forgiveness to those who've secured a guilty record on their own accord. He's zealous to go to the cross to offer his robe of righteousness to those who stand in their sin-stained rags of filth. Listen to me, you see, he could have had a new day apart from the cross, but we could not. He didn't need redemption, but we did. And so before that day, he is distressed for us and he's distressed for our cause and he is zealous to go to the cross. Praise God. He didn't need to do that for a perfect day. We needed that for a perfect day. He didn't need to be forgiven. He never sinned. We needed that that we might be forgiven. And seeing our cause and seeing our plight, he is distressed enough to go to the cross of Calvary. Praise God. So we see his desire. Then we see his distress. Last we see Christ's division. Christ's Division. Look at verse 51. Jesus continues, he says, Do you suppose, do you think that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. That's what Jesus said. Look at verses 52 and 53. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided. Three against two. And two against three, there's no middle ground. They will be divided, father against son. No relationships too sacred. And son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. And daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now think about this. What does this mean? I thought that Jesus came to give us peace. In fact, the Bible tells us God named himself the Prince of Peace. I thought he came to give peace not as the world gives. 
but his peace. The book of John says that. And, and so what is this when he says, do you think that I came to give you peace? No. Here's the truth. Listen to me very carefully. Here's the truth. Peace is the product of the gospel if received. Peace is the product of the gospel if received. However, division is the reality of the gospel if denied. Hear that again. Peace is the product of the gospel if received. However, division is the reality of the gospel if denied. Now, it's going to get even deeper. Stay hooked here. What that means is this. Jesus brings the truth that results in peace. Hear that again. Jesus brings the truth that results in peace. But he doesn't give peace at the expense of the truth. Hear that again. But he doesn't give peace at the expense of the truth. Today there's people growing number of people, and they say one way to God, that's divisive. They would say salvation in Christ alone, that is intolerant. They would say that all other faiths are wrong, and that's what we believe, that is exclusive. They would say that sinners need to repent, that anybody would preach that, that is hateful. And so you look around today, the message has become that unity is greater than the truth. And nobody would ever say that, but that's in practice what's happened today. Peace is greater than the truth. Getting along is better than declaring the truth. And so you look today and you look at churches and you look at preachers and folks go around today and they say, you know what, it's okay, we're all the same. They say, you know what, it's okay, we're all on the same path. They'll say, you know what, you, you can't really, really, really rule other faiths out. You can't declare that a, that a Mormon or that a Muslim's going to hell. In fact, they'll go so far as to say, you know what, there's no place as hell. There's no literal thing as hell. They'll say, you know what, there's not a God that's literally going to judge. You know what, you can't tell people that what they're doing is a sin. And so in order to have peace, they sacrifice the truth. Well, I want to tell you today, listen to me, the fact is this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is divisive, and Jesus himself told us that. I'll just tell you, if somehow I haven't been clear in my preaching, I want you to understand today, listen to me, sin is an offense against God. Sin is an assault against God. He is holy and he's pristine in his nature. Sin is an offense against God. Sin will land you in hell. Sin has earned you the reality of hell. But the good news of the gospel is Jesus came as the remedy for sin. And the truth of that is there is no other remedy than Jesus. And if that offends people, we need to pray they get saved. Because that's the truth. The gospel is divisive. Yes, you receive it, it brings peace, but you deny it and it always divides. So what does that mean to us today? What do we do with that today? How do we apply that today? Well, doesn't it seem like he's speaking to a specific context there? 
Well, I want to tell you, we can apply this today. I'm going to do something strange. I'm going to apply it today in reverse order. The order that we came across, I'm going to apply these truths in reverse order. First thing that we do as a point of application is this. Recognize that the gospel will not be popular. It is divisive. You know, we think, well, I'm going to go and the government's going to grab a hold of this and, and the school system's going to grab a hold of this and, and people are going to be so excited about this good news. That's not the truth at all. You know what? The gospel of Jesus Christ is an offense. It is a line that people have to decide. It is divisive. And teaching it and proclaiming it will be costly. You look at the world we're living in today, it's just getting ready to start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ will be costly. We live in an age when there's so-called Christian preachers, and I hate to even call them that, and they come around today and they say, you know what, the truth is, when you put your faith in Jesus, it all gets good. It all gets better. And they preach these messages and they write all these books and the bookstores are full of them. You know what, it's all about your comfort. And it's about your peace and it's about your blessing and it's about the good job that you ought to have that God gives you. And, and look around today, that's the message of the church today. And because of that, the church is not prepared. The church is not going to be able to persevere. We need to start telling the truth today. The gospel of Jesus Christ is divisive and preaching it's going to be costly. So that's the first truth. How do we apply this? We expect it. The world's going to have no use and, and, and less use next year than it did this year for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second thing we do to apply this is understand, and boy, I wish we would, that Jesus' distress should be our distress. Did you see that? He was concerned for others. He didn't need to do that for himself our desire is that Jesus' concern would become our concern, that we would become concerned for the, for the lost plight of our friends and neighbors. He was zealous for the cross to save us. Listen to me, we ought to be zealous as well. We ought to be passionate as well. J.C. Ryle, a New Testament commentator, says, maybe we ought to make this a bumper sticker, a zealous Savior ought to have zealous disciples. That's the truth of it. Let that be us, Calvary Baptist Church. Let us take up the cause of, of the lost man and the person that hasn't heard the truth of the gospel of Christ. Let us go here, there, and everywhere and tell them the good news of Christ. A zealous Savior ought to have zealous disciples. That's the second way we apply that. <coughs> Third is this. Today, let our hope, let our peace, let our ability to persevere, our ability to endure, let our, endure, our ability to be zealous and to press on be grounded in the fact that he who sits on the throne will say, Behold, I am making all things new. 
Behold, the tabernacle of God is now among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and he will wipe every tear away from their eye, and there will be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, for the first things will have passed away. And as Jesus desired for a new day, let us push on as followers of Jesus Christ in this day, knowing there is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day. That will be. There'll be no sorrow there. No more burdens to bear. No more sickness. No more pain. No more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day. Glorious day. That will be. Let us press on as as Christians. Let us endure hard times as Christians. Let us sacrifice our reputations wherever that may be in the workplace knowing there is coming a day when we'll stand with our Savior, Jesus Christ. A new heaven and a new earth. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come, we're thankful for you today. I'm thankful for the truth of your word. In these verses, these five verses, you outline the gospel of Jesus Christ. You tell us you went to the cross to provide our, our redemption and that you tell us it's gonna be a hard road, but you tell us you even desired for a new day. I'm thankful for the truth of these short verses. I pray as a church that we will be changed as week after week we hear that, that you're coming again and that, that we ought to be zealous for your cause and anything else is a distraction. Change our hearts, dear God. I pray for some here today that are looking for a new day, who are looking for a new hope, who are looking for a new heart. And they've never put their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that in this hour, They might put their faith in Jesus. They might hear the the good news and they would say, you know what, today I stand upon the truth of the gospel. I pray for decisions to be made in the next few minutes. We tell you, we love you, we thank you. We ask that you move in a mighty and miraculous way in this service. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna come now and close our service with a time of response, with a time of invitation. First, I want to talk to the church, those here who are followers in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, it's high time that the church becomes zealous for the cause of Jesus Christ. And if if nothing else, we're going into a summer when it looks like, well, attendance is going to drop off and giving is going to drop off. It ought not be that way. Let us be zealous as followers of Jesus Christ. And I believe God brought you here today to hear that. Let us be zealous for the cause and the glory of Jesus Christ. May God enable that. May we be faithful to walk in that as his people. Maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you the greatest thing that you can do today is put your faith in Jesus. See, the Bible says we are sinners, and that's the truth of the gospel, all of us. The Bible says because we've sinned, we've earned a punishment, and it's death. And you'll pay that punishment apart from Jesus Christ. It's not talking about your physical death. You're going you're to suffer that if Jesus doesn't come again. But it's talking about the point that you die, that it's appointed for you once to die, and then your judgment. The Bible says that, the book of Hebrews. On that day, he's going to ask you if you're perfect. And if you're a sinner like me and all of us, you're going to say, no, I'm not perfect. And he's going to say, depart from me. I can have no part of imperfection. I can, I can have no part of sin. 
Your rebellion, your sin has cost you a relationship with God. But the good news of the gospel is this. He loves us too much to leave us that way. He distressed over it. And he sent his only begotten son. He came, he lived a life with no sin. That he would die for me and for you, paying our punishment. And that's what he does. The Bible says when we profess our faith in that truth, when we profess our faith in Jesus Christ and claim him as our Lord and Savior, we become his righteousness, his right record. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care what you, what you look like coming here today. You become the perfectness of Jesus Christ before God. Forgiven, restored, redeemed, a new start. And I want to tell you, I believe there's some in this room today that, that need that, that are thirsting for that. I believe God brought you here today to hear that. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. If that's you and you'd say, oh, I want, to, I want to receive that. I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to be forgiven today. I'm going to ask that you would come meet me at the front. and We'll take care of it today. It's not coming to the front that does it. It's, it's claiming Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to give you an opportunity to come and say, you know what, let's settle that today. You come, I'll meet you here. We'll take care of that. Maybe you've put your faith in Christ, but you've never followed a believer's baptism. The Bible says that's the testimony, that's the flag that we wave that tells people we follow Jesus Christ. And so maybe you need to come and say, yes, I'm a Christian, but I need to be baptized to show people what I believe of Jesus. You come this morning, we'll set a time, we'll take care of that as well. Maybe you're looking for a church home, and if you've prayed about it, and you believe God led you here, I'll tell you, come, and and we'll take care of that, and I believe God will take you, and, and you'll be blessed here, and you'll serve together with us, and God will be glorified through it. You come and take care of that as well. Maybe you want to pray at an altar. Maybe you want to pray with me. Whatever your decision is, if God has spoken to you today, you step out and you come on. If if God has called you today and you would say, I'm putting my faith in Christ, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here. As we stand to sing, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here.